read from uh, the, the Bible and uh, from the Gospel Mark has uh, provided for us about Jesus, the good news, and from chapter 5, verses 1 through to 20. If you've uh, got that on a paper version you've brought along, great, uh, or want to follow it on the screen or on your own device, please do. Reading from the New International Version. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons of his feet, on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's pray together. Whatever's helpful, whatever is timely, Whatever is necessary for us, Lord, we pray you would speak and illuminate these scriptures. Let us know you and your actions and remember this story for words of scripture are powerful. And I pray, Holy Spirit, through this uh, story, this illustration, this particular encounter, let us learn some lessons and embrace them. Let us be strengthened and changed in our faith. 
Let us learn to love you. And to make the connections for now, for living, for following in 2019. Amen. Amen. I want you to, for a moment, imagine what it must be like to be with Jesus. Now, I know we are with Jesus. He is with us, that we are in him and we follow him. But sometimes it's a bit of an amazing journey. Amazing could also be written, sometimes it's a bit terrifying. Is that your experience? You see, the disciples have got out of the boat, and we just picked up at chapter 5, but the disciples have just been on the worst boat ride in history. What am I talking about? Chapter 4, they're in, on the lake, on the boat. Jesus says, we've got to go to the other side. And we've read the story of getting to the other side. But the journey over was terrifying. Terrifying. That they were on the boat and a furious squall blew up on the boat. And there were waves that broke over the boat and they were nearly swamped. The disciples are fearing for their life. Where's Jesus? Sleeping. And they eventually wake him up and say, don't you care? We're going to drown. It's the worst boat ride in history. Jesus speaks to the storm, by the way, and it calms and it's entirely still. It's amazing. And the disciples are terrified, more terrified about what they have just witnessed in Jesus than they were about the storm which is about to engulf and swamp them into the watery depths. The disciples land on the side, uh, the other side of the lake. Probably a little bit shaken up, panicked because of the storm and then the action of God. But I'm sure they're thanking God for dry ground, solid ground. Phew, it's safe, isn't it? And then, just as they're getting onto the shores, what do they encounter? A naked man, shrieking and crying out, blooded and bruised. Filled with demons. It's a bit of a funny day, isn't it? They've not slept through the night. They've gone to the other side and they've suddenly thought, Ah, we're okay. We're safe. And no, it's not. Just as an aside, I wonder, have you ever had that sort of season in your life where you've got through something really tough that's been a real ordeal, that you've just kind of made it through. You get to the other side and you think, ah, and then it all goes, oh. The disciples have found that. They'd almost died on the boat and now there's a naked man who loves to live in graveyards. But Jesus had seen him. Jesus had seen him and had decided to come across the other side of the sea, the other side of the lake, to meet him. Jesus encounters this man. He, he is so strong that uh, we're told, we're given a description of this man that, that they've tried to, to chain him, they've tried to subdue him, they've tried to contain this guy, and nothing works. They've, they, they've, they've expelled him. He lives in the place of death, in the graveyards, and embodies in himself the, the brutality and uh, the wretchedness of an existence without the Lord, of, of racked by torment. 
The disciples get out of the boat with Jesus. And again, in the most profound way, see the authority of Jesus writ large. He'd spoken a word to the storm. The storm had calmed. The wind died down and it was completely calm. And as Jesus confronts and sees this man, we see his authority come out. Now, Jesus says this, come out of the man, you impure spirit. And from there, the demons, the, 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 uh, those that are afflicting this man, begin to argue they're afraid. And Jesus says, who are you? Legion is the reply, meaning many. My name is Legion, he replied, for we may many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Jesus remains silent. The demons start to plead and bargain. Can we go into these pigs, they ask? And Jesus gives permission. It's, it's a slightly curious story, and, and we kind of perhaps uh, wonder why and speculate. The, the story tells us that the, the demons enter the pigs, the pigs run down the hill and jump into the lake and are drowned. Some people speculate that it's a sign of uncleanliness, that remember for the Jews, the pigs are an unclean animal, and they go, other people uh, like to, and probably rightly want us to, to recognize what's the value of a person, a person, that it's greater than the economic value of, of such a large number of the herd of pigs. Whatever it is the answer, let's not be distracted by the truth that Jesus rescues this man. People see it, but we're then told of the change. That this individual who, we don't actually know his name, Legion would describe the demonic influence, but the man is now clothed and in his right mind. What a wonderful picture, just like the storm of still and be calm of the power of Jesus, who traveled across the sea for this one man, to set him free, to rescue him, to sort out his life. Those pig herders and those from the town who came out, what was their response? They're freaked out and they're terrified and they, uh, they, they aren't amazed at the deliverance, but they're horrified by the loss of the pigs, of their industry, of, of the bacon that has been lost. And instead of embracing Jesus, they say, leave, go, go away from us. It's amazing, isn't it, how the actual wonderful work of Jesus can be seen as something to be rejected and pushed away. Sometimes when we, we draw close to Jesus and he works in our life, we kind of think, everyone's going to be so happy about that. I remember when I first became at university, uh, I encountered the Lord. He changed my heart uh, in, in all sorts of ways that I, I discovered the amazing love of God. I was full of, of joy in him that I, I wanted to tell other people. I thought, this is amazing. I have to be hostile and, and anti-God for so long. 
And I, I knew that I wanted to phone up. It was in the days before mobile phones. Do you remember those? Uh, I was at a hall of residence in, uh, in Newcastle University, and there were five telephones for 300 people in little cubicles. And they were the phones, yeah, they'd just got buttons, these phones, but most of them were the old dialy ones. You're all going to, all the kids have gone out, they're not going to think I'm some dinosaur from prehistory. You know what I'm talking about. And I remember being at this booth, putting my money in the slot, dialing home. And mum and dad came on the phone, you know, they're on different phones, I, you know, like most teenagers, most students don't phone home very often once every week, if they were lucky. And uh, I, I, they were asking, they, I said, I've been on this weekend away. I've, be, I've become a follower of Jesus. And there was this pause for longer than I'd have hoped. And my mum first spoke. She said, oh, what have you gone and done that for? Have they brainwashed you or something? I said, no, Lord, this has changed my life. And my dad was a little bit more calm. He said, now, now mum, you know, that's what they say on the phone. Now, mum, just, just let him explain what's happened. That sometimes when God works in your life, it's amazing. And, and you think people would embrace it. No. When Paul went to, to Ephesus and started preaching and people's lives were changed. And whole, this, the, the economy of Ephesus began to change, like the economy of that region of the Decapolis across the lake that Jesus had gone to. When the presence and action of Jesus in life began to, to change, not just individuals, but whole communities, it's not always embraced. For Paul in Ephesus, the, the people began to think, why are we putting all our trust in these, in these superstitious things, in buying talismans and charms and spells? And, and we kind of think, oh, that's a funny backwards way of doing it. But, but that's what happened. And they brought them all out and they put them in a big pile and said, we don't need this. We've found the Lord of life, Jesus. And they burnt it all. But those in power in the community began to say, this is troubling. This is changing uh, culture. This is beginning to undermine what we think is right. And so they, there was a riot. They gathered together a mob and there was a riot and chased them out. I mean, this was setting people free and delivering them and letting them be. Was it embraced? Clothed and in his right mind, delivered and set free. You'd have thought it'd be welcome. People of the region pleaded, please go, please leave us. They hadn't, and they couldn't see the power of God to rescue this man that they could not tame. They could not subdue. They were frightened of that he had broken, he was overly strong, terrified, and yet he was clothed and in his right mind. It's kind of like they'd say, we'd really rather have the naked, demonized man and our money and not be challenged with what we do now. As an aside, I wonder where the man got his clothes from. I wonder if Jesus has got a duffel bag with some spare clothes. Or the disciples, come on, lads, you know, so we, don't, we can't leave him naked all the time now. He's, he's, he's in his right mind. I love that practical provision. 
the loving compassion of, of God and his people providing in all sorts of ways. Setting him free, changing his heart from within and dignifying him without. But it was scary. It was scary to the people. Uh, we don't know his name, but he was known probably for the label that he carried, that mad one, the crazy one, the shrieking one who lives in the graveyard. But now a new age, a new day has come. But that challenge of change wasn't always accepted. If God begins to change your life, sometimes the label of who you are gets kind of still wanting people to attach it to you. Whether you were someone before Jesus as a liar or as a no-hoper or as a drunkard or, or whatever it is, but now you're a child of God and different. The old label goes. This man is restored and has a new life. People, the religious sometimes, or, or people around can't always recognize the work of God and look to the old you, not recognizing there's a new one. Remember when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, uh, he, he, he got, gathered together and started in Acts 9 to, to speak about Jesus. And people were a bit like, hang on, we know you, Paul, you're the persecutor. We're not sure about this change. This picture's all best messed up. God's intervening and we don't understand the lay of the land now. It's better to know what we to be sure and confident of what we know. What God brings is new and uncertain. That's what the Lord does. Brings newness and restoration. Man's life had changed. And he says to Jesus, I want to go with you. Let me come on the boat with you. There's room for one more. I want to go with you. His life had been changed. He'd re recognized this godless, this wretched, this most desperate man, this man on the edge of death, on the edge of society, of being pushed out, of an unwelcomed, of, of cutting himself, of self-harming, of being uh, so fearful that no one would want to or could get near him. An outcast in every way had encountered Jesus and Jesus had broken through. No one else can do that in our lives. The man was changed and he said naturally, I want to go with you. Let me on the boat, Jesus. Jesus did for him what he couldn't do for himself. Can I come? Jesus says, no. It's a bit of a surprise. He says, no, you need to stay here. You need to stay in your place. Now, maybe, maybe the disciples are thinking, I mean, Jesus, I mean, Jesus, it would be great if this guy came with us. I mean, just think of his testimony. Uh, when we, we go into these villages where we're preaching the gospel, wouldn't it be great? We could say, say, look at this man. We've not got his name. We don't know it, but look, we could just imagine one. But look at this man. And, and he could show them the scars and tell them the story of how he had been deluded and deranged and, and manic. And, uh, and people were terrified of him. And, and then said, and that one day I fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus command all these evil spirits to go. And all the pigs rushed down the hill and they jumped in the water. And what an amazing graphic, vivid story. 
I mean, what an evangelistic kind of help in these villages that we're going to. Uh, the, a living testimony of a great, powerful witness. Come on, Jesus, he'd add to the team, wouldn't he? Jesus says, no. He's got to stay in his place to witness. Phil, last week, uh, uh, I, I was, uh, as I told you, up in uh, Birmingham, um, and he preached a sermon and, and talked, as I heard it on Monday, and talked about the mission team of, that God is, has given us here. Do you remember that, if you were here? If you've listened to it again. And he said, you know, we've got a mission team coming at the end of March, and we're really thrilled about that. But he said, it's, you know, and he kind of said, but you're it too. You're the mission team. We've got some guests coming. It's a bit like Peter, it's about the disciples saying, oh, we've got this great person with an amazing story who was at the bottom and the depths of life and God plucked him from there and rescued him and restored his life. And if only people would hear that amazing story, they'll be convinced. Yeah, they would. But the reality is that, that Jesus says that that story is worth telling in the place where you know, but there's other stories that you can tell. Come on, disciples, we've got to move on and tell that story. But what about that amazing guy that, that's got an amazing, profound story? Can't, can't he come? Why, why do we need him to be with us? He can tell his story there. You've got a story to tell, disciples. You're with me. You've got a testimony to tell, a witness to share too. Do you know that? I was talking to, to someone recently uh, about being baptized last weekend. And I said, um, the question was, you know, do you want to be baptized? And she said, well, she's 13. And she said, uh, I haven't really got that much of a story to tell. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, she's heard, she's heard these great, amazing stories. And she gives thanks for them. But she said, I've just known Jesus all my life. No one's interested in that. Maybe when I've... And I sort of stopped and said, don't go down that road. <laughs> You've had the joy of knowing Jesus every day through the faithful witness of your family. And that you love him. And I can see the character of Jesus in your life. Of course that's a story to tell. She looked at me wide-eyed and said, really? Absolutely. And for her, it may seem that that's not very effective. It's not very dramatic. It's not very profound. It's not going to draw the crowds and thinking, but it's her story and the story of Jesus at work in her life. And as such, it's really powerful. You see, one of the things that this, this story reminds me, and, and there are so many in the Gospels, that Jesus does say, come follow me. And we are. But so often when we encounter Jesus, he asks us to be witnesses where we are. Sometimes he says, come follow me. You can be, do that in other places. And it's a great step of faith to do that, to go and be witnesses and to have the opportunity to, to be on a team in some way in a context you don't know. It's, it's, it's a privilege. But the reality is most of the time he says, you're witnesses where you are. So for the Samaritan woman at the well, who was the first evangelist for Jesus. She went back after that encounter in the noonday sun and said, come and meet the man that's told me everything about me. And the, and the people in the village who know about her kind of go, 
what's happening? They come out to the well and they, they, they meet Jesus and they, the whole town comes to believe. But we're not told she then journeyed on. She was the witness in that place. That we hear of, of amazing people in the scriptures of Peter and Paul and the disciples and they were sent out as apostles to various places. But so often we get the unnamed, the unknown, but the faithful ones who were in Thessaloniki and Philippi and Ephesus and Galatia, all the churches in Galatia and Smyrna and all those places. The people of God, the faithful ones who are living day by day as witnesses in their place, bringing glory to God. And do you know what? Through them, the Lord added to their number. Encouraged by the apostles and those who would come, but actually living it out in their place. Of home and of work. Of witness. Jesus moves on, but goes back over the lake. He comes, all that effort, all that journey through the most wretched storm of the night... Shows up for this man. If you want to know how valuable you are to God, read the story. This man that everyone else has rejected, Jesus comes for. Says you can become a child of God. If you ever have a doubt to think in your heart and mind that, ah, does God really love me? Read that story afresh and say, of course he can because he loved that man. He loved the woman at the well. Whatever story, passage you get to. In the next bit, as Jesus goes back, he meets Jairus. And Jairus's 12-year-old daughter is dying. And he's a Roman and, uh, and kind of one of the op- opposition and the hostile, the enemy, the persecutor. And Jesus says, I'll come. And on the way, that there's a, a woman who's been bleeding for te- 12 years. Again, again, sort of cut out and left out and marginalized. And she touches Jesus' cloak. Read the story and Jesus heals her. Jesus didn't even know he healed her. She just touched his, the, the cloak and then said, who was it? If you ever think that you're not valuable to God, read the stories of who he meets. So, so precious to him. If you don't know that, if you think you're excluded in some way or you've, uh, you've been burnt too badly or broken too much, just read the stories and see who he comes for. The fact that he would cross the sea through the worst of the storms at night to meet this man to restore his life. He does that. And if you ever need to know why that matters... And what the impact of that is, think upon this. That he leaves that man to be his witness, to tell the story. To witness in those regions. Because this is for all people. I'm hoping that that out of this message we'd learn to grow in our witness because we've got mission all around us. We're focusing on that coming up uh, shortly in the church, but we all have a witness to give, a testimony to share. It's not just about the team coming, and, and they will do that really well, and uh, we're looking forward to their visit. 
We've got lots of opportunities for you to join in and invite people to come. I hope you will take that opportunity. We've got uh, events for the house groups on the Wednesday night. We've got, we're going to be in the schools, uh, in the primary schools and in here, uh, uh, doing some lessons, which is great with the team. We've got um, a guy coming on, uh, just telling you this, we're going to have some more about it, but on the Thursday evening, we've got a, a professor of, theology, uh, of ethics and philosophy from Oxford Ooh, coming, and he's uh, going to talk about artificial intelligence. I, I said this at a deacon's meeting, I said he's going to come and talk about AI. And those from a farming community thinking, what's about artificial insemination got to do with witnessing? I said, no, artificial intelligence, just to be clear. We are a farming community, after all, some places. He's gonna, but he's a believer. He's served in the forces, and he's going to come and talk about the challenges and the opportunities of artificial intelligence, and, and that's something that's really current. But also, he's going to share a little bit of his story of, of being a believer, of following Jesus through battle zones and in the academic battle zones of Oxford. We've got a big youth event on the Friday. We've got Messy Church here on the Saturday. On the Sunday, we've got the team that are with us. If you want to have Sunday lunch with one of them and invite some friends to that, you can. Just let us know. We'd love to. We're only three of them, so get in fast. They're really happy to come and have a meal with you, with a, even if it's your neighbors or family member, just to have that opportunity. And on the Sunday morning, we're going to have a bigger breakfast here. Wow. We're not Jewish, so we're going to have bacon and all that, which would be great. But the idea is that we we can invite people to come and hear something. But actually, that's not really the main thing. The main thing is us. The main thing is, is our witness. The main thing is... Being, as Jesus said in, uh, to, the, to the disciples at the beginning of Acts, Acts 1.8, he said, remain here in Jerusalem, I will, you'll be clothed with power, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Some of us are called sometimes to go far away, but all of us are called to be here, where we are, sharing our story. Tell them what Jesus has done. That was the reminder to the, to the man clothed in his right mind, uh, mind. They triumphed over him, says John in uh, Revelation. They triumphed over him, that's the opponent, the adversary, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Tell them what Jesus has done. Your testimony matters. Your story. However that story has been written. Whatever narrative of life is being played out. It may not be like the man at the graveyard who is clo- you know, who's cutting himself and clothed now in his right mind. You may not have been the, the, the woman at the well and all the backstory of her life. But... She encountered Jesus, had a story to tell. If you've encountered Jesus and you're a follower of his, you have a story to tell. Do you know that? And it's a powerful story. Particularly with people who know you. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. With people who know you. Because they know whether you're being sincere or just trite. 
It doesn't mean, uh, some, someone said it like this, um, that, that actually we've just got a story to tell. You may not know it, that every answer to every question. You may not know how to explain every nuance of, of, of every tough question that is asked of you. That's the reality that we all face. Do you expect a child to be able to spell before it can speak? No. You don't need to have a degree in theology or of, of biblical studies or have been on online courses, have been around long enough. We don't expect children to be able to spell before they can talk. In other words, from the moment you discover Jesus and start following him, you, you can tell your story and God will use it. You don't need to know about every aspect of of biblical studies and all that. But your story is powerful and valid and important. In a court of law, if you're called to give testimony about what you have witnessed, you don't need to know everything about the law. You just need to tell what you know. And that evidence is persuasive, to tell it truthfully, to tell what you know, what you've experienced Acts 1.8, and you'll be my witnesses, witnesses to the risen Jesus, wherever you happen to be, everywhere. There is power in it. I want you to encourage you to be gracious and attractive in that as well. In Colossians, as Paul writes to the church there, he says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, there's something exciting about going with Jesus on a mission trip to places and seeing God work powerfully in those ways. Absolutely. There's something really earthy and nitty-gritty about doing that in the day-to-day where people can observe you and know you and hear what comes out of your mouth and see what motivates your heart and say, does this Jesus' life really make a difference? Because it's not just the words that we use, but who we are that's a witness. As we invite people to events coming up and are ongoing in this year, part of, part of our persuasiveness will actually be to see, does it work? Is it working in you? And we're all going, oh my goodness now. That's tough, isn't it? However you are at the moment, we can ask the Lord of life, Jesus, to help us. Seasoned with salt. The character of Jesus. Think about how you speak and how you act. I'm not expecting perfection. But I am asking you to think. Because our witness is often undermined. We all have bad days. We all get up on the wrong side. We all get hungry and moody. So I'm told. Uh, no, we do. But there's this, cons- you know, followers of Jesus should bear the marks of Jesus, the character of Jesus.
Would people say you, you're more grumbling and complaining than thankful? Is it easier to be critical and tear down than to build up? Is it easier to gossip about someone else than perhaps speak a word of encouragement? How's your generosity? How's the content and character of your witness in letting people know that you're a follower of Jesus? Tomorrow, what did you do at the weekend? Oh, I watched the rugby. I watched the rugby and I went to church. <laughs> Gathered with God's people. Can just be seasoned with salt, just a light flavoring, a light seasoning, just to let people know that you follow Jesus. It doesn't have to be ram a whole kind of dose of salt down their neck in one go because you want to pickle them or turn them into some sort of preserved thing with a, a bunch of salt. But let your witness shine. The man at the, the tombs was given new life and witness for the Lord. We're called to be a witnessing people of faith, of Jesus, of not being unpleasant and repetitive and, and, uh, and kind of overly sort of ramming gospel down people's throats, but Letting people know we follow him. Simple things. Together. Let's pray.